Welcome to the next episode of Strategize to Succeed. Selectively applying the strategies which we discuss each week will help you as you progress from conditions to opportunities to successes. In today's episode, we are going to discuss the concept of giving and receiving advice so that it can be appreciated rather than considered offensive. But first, a slight linguistic detour. This week, as I was researching the topic, I came across an interesting phenomenon. Virtually every article which I looked at on the subject of advice was entitled, The Art of Giving and Receiving Advice. And the question came to my mind, why is the notion of providing advice regarded as an art as opposed to a skill? Frankly, I always viewed advice sharing as a skill. So I enlisted the assistance of Merriam-Webster. A dictionary definition of skill is, quote, the ability to use one's knowledge effectively and readily in execution or performance, a learned power of doing something competently, a developed aptitude or ability, close quote. Well, that sounds right to me to describe an advisor. However, the dictionary definition of art repeatedly incorporates the word skill, Quote, a skill acquired by experience, study, or observation, an occupation requiring knowledge or skill, the conscious use of skill and creative imagination in the production of aesthetic objects, close quote. So what position should be taken on the description of advice? Is its transmittal an art or a skill? I'm still inclined to assess advice giving and receipt as a skill, and I'll tell you why. If the definition of art is going to repeatedly reference the word skill, I would take the approach of leapfrogging over the word art and moving on directly to the concept of skill. That being said, there are numerous articles on giving and receiving advice. But in general, there is one article which seems to serve as the leader of the pack. That article is The Art of Giving and Receiving Advice by David A. Garvin and Joshua D. Margolis. It first appeared in Harvard Business Review in January-February 2015. Prior to any discussion of the merits of the advice to be doled out, one should first consider the source of the advice. As you may surmise, different types of advice necessitate drawing on different types of advisors. As an example, when confused about what to wear on a special occasion, one might look to a close friend or a trusted relative for guidance. However, when one is considering a course of action to be taken by their company, An advisor with a more specialized background may be more on point. The request for advice is a very individualized undertaking. The person asking for advice is in a vulnerable position 
by admitting their uncertainty or lack of knowledge to another. And the person being charged with giving such advice is in a position of trust and discretion, holding the confidences of another and respecting their privacy. At the same time, the giver of advice is responsible for using their best effort to impart useful information. There are those people who feel inadequate by even asking for advice, as though they are less than just by not knowing something. Your mentor has a different perspective. I believe that no one is inadequate. Everyone knows something different and the process of asking for advice is simply an exchange of knowledge. The only times when this exchange becomes more difficult is when there's an attitudinal inequality. That is where personalities take priority over information. Getting or receiving advice can be fraught with an emotional subtext. It can begin when one party feels superior and the other party feels inferior. In that condition, no one really wins. Instead, the transfer of information can feel more like a poor negotiation, and ultimately no one benefits. So asking and receiving advice can feel a bit like an emotional minefield. Such problems can be avoided, but the responsibility must be shared by both parties. As pointed out by Garvin and Margolis, because there is, quote, a deeply ingrained tendency to prefer their own opinions, on both sides it requires emotional intelligence, self-awareness, restraint, diplomacy, and patience, close quote. And what can happen if the process goes wrong, besides receiving bad information? Quote, getting it wrong can have damaging consequences, misunderstanding and frustration, decision gridlock, subpar solutions, frayed relationships, and thwarted personal development, along with substantial costs to individuals and their organizations. Close quote. So how does one work around the potential for problems, which can arise when asking for advice? On both sides of the transaction, Garvin and Margolis maintain that the problem points seem to be, quote, flawed logic and limited information which complicate the process, close quote. As an aside, your mentor would question the exclusivity of those issues. It seems to me that whenever someone is trying to make a decision about virtually every conceivable issue, there are problems with flawed logic and limited information. To me, that seems to be the nature of the beast. We will never be in possession of all of the conceivable information on a topic and the ramifications. And we will likely always skew the logic, probably unconsciously, to justify our preferences. To limit the damage, Garvin and Margolis advocate that advice seekers, quote, identify their blind spots, recognize when and how to ask for guidance, 
draw useful insights from the right people, and overcome an inevitable defensiveness about their own views. Close quote. And advice givers are charged with the responsibility of trying to dissect complex situations while offering useful alternatives. To this end, advice givers must avoid, quote, overstepping boundaries, close quote. What this really means is that if you're not asked, don't volunteer. You probably already know from experience that the result from offering unsolicited advice is usually not good. Also, a cautionary note for advice givers is to be careful about, quote, misdiagnosing the problem, close quote. Essentially, don't jump in with a solution until you first get all the information and that it is unbiased. Don't forget that the advice is being sought by someone else. Forget about the notion of putting yourself in the other person's shoes. It's just not realistic. The perceptions are different, the frame of reference is different, and the tone of the advice is viewed as, quote, self-centered, close quote. Additional problems may emerge if advice is communicated in an unclear manner. Whether language, terms, references, or choices, the focus needs to be on the party requesting the advice. Otherwise, the advice given may be unusable under the intended circumstances. After all of these hazards are considered, there is one additional factor to keep in mind. In the majority of cases, when someone asks for advice, they don't usually stop at asking one person. Often it becomes advice by committee. The person initially providing the advice frequently overlooks the reality of the situation and takes umbrage at the subsequent advice gathering process. Instead, the advisor should be more open-minded to engaging in a further dialogue to draw out additional reactions. Garvin and Margolis also point out a few areas of concern for advice seekers. Advice seekers are often too self-confident and instead of actually seeking information, they are really looking for reinforcement of their own opinions. Along these same lines, advice seekers tend to look to the least helpful advisors. Rather than offering constructive information and opinions, such advisors tend to be yes people who simply validate the existing opinion. Advice seekers can often also cause bad advice to be given simply by their inability to clearly outline the specific problem. Details are important, but wandering stories are not. Once a conscientious effort has been made to offer reasonable advice, advice seekers will often ignore it. Again, it becomes an issue of ego, competition, and confidence, all leading to an unwillingness to listen. 
Perhaps intermingled with this dismissive attitude is that there is often an inability to separate out good from bad advice. Often, if the advice seems different from the norm, or if multiple advisors disagree, the advice seekers will simply ignore it. With all of these warning signs, it would seem that the giving and receiving of advice is just too difficult and should be avoided. But really, it's not. According to Garvin and Margolis, there are five stages of advising, which apply to both the advisor and the advice seeker. First, find the right fit and be realistic about it. Sometimes a good match can take a bit of time, but it can be worth it. Frequently, it can be helpful to line up potential advisors in advance of the actual need. Second, develop a shared understanding. Emphasize communication clarity without judgment. Third, crafting alternatives. Develop options by asking questions and providing specifics. Fourth, converge on a decision. Move towards a resolution after gathering all pertinent information. And finally, put the decision into action. Ultimately, although the evolution of any decision is a collaborative process, the reaching of a decision is the responsibility of the advice seeker. Thus, the purpose of gaining advice is to make progress in moving an issue to a conclusion. Once that conclusion is reached, there should be a level of comfort in implementing the decision. However, one should always be flexible and willing to activate a course correction if circumstances change. To ask for or receive advice can result in a fruitful exchange of ideas and a blending of perspectives. However, there needs to be a reasonable balance of views in order to achieve the greatest likelihood of success. Thank you for sharing your time today. Remember, your application of strategic decision-making approaches can result in more beneficial outcomes for you, both professionally and personally. Why not turn that process into your opportunity?